Either that nobody cares, so it doesn't matter what you do, or maybe even just nobody sees it, so nobody knows what you do. If he can get you by yourself, then he can start to work on you. Pull out every trick in the book. But remember that it is not possible for you to be by yourself. The Bible tells us that, that we can look all around us and he's there. We can go down even to the pits of hell and he's there. There is no place that you cannot find God. No matter where you're at, no matter where you're headed, no matter what you've done, he is there. Thank you. 
Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. Man, many of you, I uh, understand, are familiar with this book and with this, this passage of Scripture. And it, it basically is what we, we look to as the, the closing account of, of the Apostle Paul's life. And uh, just in case you didn't know, all the, the letters that Paul wrote are not in chronological order in your Bible. But, but this one in the book of Titus are, are believed to come at the very, very end of his days. There, there weren't very many days of Paul's time left, and, and you can see that as you read the content of the book. You can see that he is drawing his life, or he knows that his life is drawing to a close, and he is writing to his, to his son and the Lord Timothy those things that he thinks are important for him to hear. And yet it's at the end of this letter, at the end of, of what really are the last words of the Apostle Paul, that, that we find this, this addition. If you go up just a few verses, it will look like the letter's done. You know, the, 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 it's all over at this point. The, the doctrine's been laid out and, and all the spiritual truths that Paul would have Timothy to know and remember. He has passed all those things on and, and he's really just putting all of the fluff at the end of the letter to make sure that everybody's remembered and he thanks everybody for what they've done and, you know, those few little extra things. It's like the, the P.S. at the end of your letters. Now, I understand nobody writes letters anymore. Everybody just sends text messages and emails, but, but most of y'all are old enough to remember a day when you wrote letters. And, 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 and you poured your heart out, depending on who it was you were writing a letter to, you wanted to make sure that you gave them all the news, or, or if it was that one you'd fallen in love with, you wanted to make sure that you used every possible word to make sure that, that they understood your feelings for them. And then you get to the end, and you, you know, sincerely, or love always, or respectfully, or whatever it might be, you close out that letter, and then you remember something. P.S. I think I left my socks at your house. P.S. Uh, you know, the, the dates of the upcoming conference are July 20th through the, through the 25th. You know, P.S. Uh, uh, this envelope, you know, was I got it on sale. Whatever silly thing it might be that, that you want to stick at the end of the, the letter. It was the thing that you forgot to, or the thing that really just didn't fit with everything else. Uh, the thing that just didn't flow with the letter. You don't want to mess up all that romantical talk that you put in there. You wanted to make sure that, you know, you reminded them to change their oil by just sticking that at the, at the end of the P.S. That's, that's really what this looks like. You know, it's, you know, every, everybody's left me. Here's who's here with me. And here's who I sent to this city and to that city. And, and by the way, it's cold. And, you know, I, if you're going to come this way, be sure you bring me some extra clothes. Bring the coat that I left behind. But it's in this section of the letter that we find these requests. We find the things that a man drawing to the close of his life and his ministry, they were important to him. They were noteworthy to him. I mean, if you're sitting in a freezing, a freezing prison cell, then you're going to think about coat. You know, you don't think much about that coat in your closet until you forget it. You get to school and get to work and, you know, it's 42 degrees and, and you wish you were right. These are the things that as he was closing out, his final closing, he, he felt the need to mention a few things that were important 
to him. Now, the Apostle Paul was, was quite a man. He was quite a character in history. He's quite an individual on the pages of your Bible. There are all sorts of, of great and mighty men and women that you read about on the pages of Scripture, but, but Paul seems to take up a bigger chunk than anybody else. You know, the book of Judges, there, there's more than one. The books of Kings, there's more than one. And, and not any one of them gets all the pages of all those books. But, but Paul was the author of the majority of your New Testament. Yes. What he was doing and where he was at and where he was headed is something that fills the pages of Scripture. He was quite the individual. Yes. And so it's interesting to take a look at what he might have felt was important to him at the last of his days. Now, if we go backward just a little bit in Scripture, and not always necessarily backward to the page number, because I mentioned to you that the, these letters are not necessarily in chronological order, but, but I'm going to put a few of these scriptural references in that order for you, because I, I want you to see just a little bit about how things have gone for the Apostle Paul. I mean, we're a book of Acts church, so we know that's where he started. You know, right there in the middle of the book, Saul, or otherwise known as Paul, comes on the scene, and, and everything begins to, you know, moving and shaking for him. But, but we see in his letters kind of the course of his life and of his ministry. You go back to Second Thessalonians, you will find that the letters that he wrote to the Thessalonian church, they were the, the first ones. They were the ones that we have written down before anything else. And it sure would seem like that that things, you know, they, they started out well enough in First Thessalonians. If you read that book, there's really not a, oh my goodness, how could you do this kind of scriptures. It, it things seemed to start out really well. He was encouraging them and, and being thankful for them for what God had done in their life. And, and just really kind of easy reading in the pages of First Thessalonians. But, but then you get to the second one. You know, then you get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, he writes, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. These folks thought the Lord had already come and gone. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. Except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts itself above all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that he is God, suited in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. He sounds like he's really settling into that pastor role at this point, isn't he? Weren't you there when I preached it last month? I mean, weren't you there that I told you before? Why are you thinking this? Why are you believing these things when I told you the very opposite? And then a couple of years later, we, we come to the, the book of Galatians. We come to a letter written to another church, another body of believers. And in chapter 1 of that book, of the book of Galatians, jumping down to verse 6, we just really... Get right there to the punch. He says, I marvel that you are so super moved from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. Good, great Galatians. I mean, 
I was just there. I marvel that so quickly you follow into false doctrine. He said, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Sounds like this apostle thing is not quite as easy as what it sounds an apostle, they said. It'll be fun, they said. Just go and preach the gospel. Just go and preach the truth, and they'll all be saved, and they'll all stay in line, and they'll all live for God. And see how that turned out. I marvel, you are so soon removed into this foolish stuff. Did I not tell you before? Am I not telling you again? Don't follow anybody else. Well, needless to say, it kind of continues in that same vein. We roll another year or so into the future, we get to the Corinthians. Huh. Anybody's been around here for a while, remember some preaching about the Corinthians for a while, and things are mess, folks. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me and you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now it's not just false doctrine in the church. But now the church is coming apart at the seams. Now they're, they're splitting churches. Now they're, they're breaking apart. Now they're attacking and killing each other. Despite the fact that I told them to kind of love one another if you want to be saved. They jump another year into the future. They get to the Philippians. Y'all going to see the trend here? Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. What kind of things? So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I know he's saying something encouraging right there. He's looking at the good side of things right there. But folks, Paul's in prison. And not only is Paul in prison, but he said many of my brothers are in the same place. So now not only is the church following after false doctrine and getting discouraged in the Lord and not remembering what I told them to remember, now not only is the church coming apart in the scenes and they're all kind of at each other's throats, now me and all the preachers are being hauled off to prison. 
betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says, you know what? <clears throat> if it was up to me, God said, would you like me to punch your ticket today? He said, folks, you need to pray for me because I'm having a hard time right now. I'm having a hard time right now not crying out to the Lord saying, punch the ticket. He said, I was in a strait between two things. Because I know that when I go on to be with the Lord, everything is going to be better. But that ain't my calling today. That's not my lot today. That's not where I'm headed today. So according to God, it's more needful for me to stay here. Then you get to the book of Philemon, and he, he simply just writing a friend of his name, Philemon, to asking him to give his servant Onesimus his freedom. And then a few years later, he writes to the Corinthians again. And there's actually three letters, but we don't have one of them. It's been lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, being God which raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and who we trust that he will yet deliver us. Yet he also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. He said, we thought we were going to die. And the only solace we had is in knowing that we're in God's hands. Then in chapter 2, verse 1 says, But I determined this with myself, and I would not come again to you in heaviness. He's the last meeting wasn't all that great. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that made me glad that the same which has made sorry by me? And I wrote the same in the U.S. when I came. I should have sorrow for them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly to you. Now, without going to all the other letters and read excerpts from every one of them for the sake of time. That same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it's just kind of, it'll kind of wrap up this, this part of his life story. Verse 9 says, And when I was present with you and wanted, I was charged with no man, but that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me in this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, 
deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. All this stuff that's going on, he's loved them with all of his heart, prayed for them day in and day out, poured himself into every letter and every visit that he's ever made. And now he's got to tell them, whether you listen to me or not, they're false apostles. Whether you believe me or not, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Verse 22 says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am Lord. Here's what's been going on in Paul's life all the life, all the way. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times received by forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Weariness, pains, watchings often. Hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. Beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So we have a man that has seen it all. He's done it all. He's been there, he's done that, he's got the t-shirt. Folks, I don't want to be standing next in line behind Paul when, when our works are judged in heaven. I, 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 want, I want to be, you know, a couple of days worth of line behind him. I don't want to have to hold my candle up beside such a great man of God. Could you imagine all the stories he could tell? I know he told a lot of them, but, but he just summarized in in about four verses, what would fill up volumes of autobiographies. Can you imagine the Hollywood movies that could be made about somebody like the Apostle Paul? Could you imagine all the Twitter followers he'd have today if he were here? All the people that would want to keep up with what he's doing. And yet, this great man of God, this man that is a superhero of our faith, when he's nearing the end of his life, He's writing his swan song when he's penning his last will and testament. What are the great words? What are the things, the closing words that will forever be etched in our memories? He says, bring the books. What was it that made Paul what he was? What was it that kept driving him, despite the stripes, despite the rods, despite the stones, despite the betrayals? What was it that pushed him, even when he was sitting, rotting away in a prison cell, to still have hope that God wasn't done with him yet? That there be more messages to preach, that there be more 
or the lack thereof of his brothers and sisters in the Lord that I've come to tell you that what made Paul what he was was the books. The thing that got him up every morning and the thing that drove him along his pathway and the thing that stirred him when there was nobody else to stir him was that he could pick up the book on his pages Where did he get that zeal? 
It was a time on the banks of the, uh, of the Sea of Galilee with James and John. He didn't get that zeal watching blind and eyes open and the bread and fish multiplied with all the rest of the twelve because he wasn't rolling around with those folks when they were walking with Jesus. Where did he get a zeal for God at? If it was after Jesus rose again before he ever met him, he got it because that man was sitting at the feet of every man of God in his day. He was sitting down day and night, opening up those scrolls, reading the words of the prophet, said, I don't know who he is, and I don't know when he's coming, but there's going to be a Messiah. God's going to come himself someday. And the only thing God had to do was tell him, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. And Paul was a man of a mission until the day he died. But why preach to the choir today? You folks didn't come to church because you hate the Bible. I get up here and tell you how wonderful and great the Word of God is. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, saying the Apostle Paul begins to write. Verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he whereof might trust in the flesh, I more. Now we read his resume. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. The Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had everything that the books, he had everything that the word of God could speak to him. And he pursued it more passionately than all of his peers. <clears throat> but then he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me? Those I counted lost for Christ. What things in resume that I'm a Hebrew and a Benjamite, a Pharisee and a Zealot? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but God, that I may win Christ and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. On the surface, it might seem to some like all of that time, effort, and education was a waste. 
simplicity of the truth that all he needed to know to be saved was the cross. I mean, even Paul himself said, 1 Corinthians 2 and 1, and I read when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Preacher, what in the world are you preaching about? We live in a world today that is trying its best to change the message. They're trying their best to water it down, to dilute it with false doctrine, just like they were in Paul's day. They're trying their best to turn you away from the Word of God. And convince you that the only thing that matters is your experience with God. Preaching this to an apostolic Pentecostal church because the unfortunate truth of the matter is it has infected a lot of so-called Pentecostal churches. I listened to somebody recently make a statement online. I don't really know the world well, so I'm not being overly critical. I don't know their background. But uh, the statement was what bothered me. He said, I was talking about somebody else. He said, I appreciate you going to, to the Word of God about this because uh, I just kind of like to go off of instinct. There's a very large and influential pastor of, of, of multiple churches in the state of Georgia. Not, not apostolic, but uh, I, I don't know what he is. I think his daddy was Baptist. I, I don't know what he is. Who's written the book and made lots of statements and talks about the experience of the new birth and the, the experience of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then he takes another step and talks about how I, I refuse at this point moving forward in my life to qualify things by saying because the Bible says so. That we need to get beyond just simply telling people what the Bible says. Because what really matters more than all those things in the Old Testament is the experience that they have with God. Church, I've come to tell you, the devil has an experience with God. Every demon in hell has an experience with God. I don't dispute today that your experience is important. You've got to repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name. But chances are you're never going to do that unless you feel God moving on you. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But you're not going to know whether you have it or not until you experience speaking in an unknown tongue. But we cannot let experiences alone dictate the course of our life. Because my Bible teaches me that my heart is deceitful and I can't trust it. It teaches me that my tongue is on fire of hell. It teaches me that my hands 
are always in the books of evil. And that same apostle Paul would write to us in another place and say, every single time I want to do good, I've come to the realization that there's still, even after being filled with the Holy Ghost, there's still evil that is present with me. If you're living your life on nothing more than what you feel in your senses, if you're living your walk with God on nothing more than just in what you experience with your eyes and your ears, and that, that, that half spiritual sense that we always like to chalk up to the Holy Ghost, I've come to tell you, some other spirits can rub up against you. Some other things can bump into you in your life, and you'll mistake them for God, and you'll start walking down the road. Paul never thought the Thessalonians would lose hope. Paul never thought the Galatians would get subverted. When he left Corinth, he never thought they'd be in such a mess. Oh, I know the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that, that the Lord showed Paul many of the things that he would suffer for his name's sake. But I know from my own life's experience and from yours, God rarely shows us all of it up front. Because if he did, we'd never go. You can be holy in body all you want. I'm telling you, if God showed you everything from the first day you prayed through, you'd quit before you got started. I venture to say, Paul might not have made all those missionary journeys if he knew they were going to be such a hot mess right after he left. But there's one thing that can always be counted on. I'm going to tell you, folks, I, I, I've been in some Holy Ghost services in my life, and I know I'm not an old man. But in my 43 years, I've been in some services where the glory of God fell. I've been in some places where I knew God was. I've been in the midst and I've been around some miraculous things. I understand that all. And I'm not making light of that. But I'm also old enough to tell you, I've come to the house of God and watched everybody else get a blessing and felt nothing. I've been in an altar before and cried out, God, why can't I feel your spirit? Why is everybody else acting like you're coming back today and how you feel like you're a million miles away? There's times I've had wonderful divine revelation from God, but then there's been other times I have no idea what's going on and I have no idea what I'm going to do. But there's one thing that never changes. There's one thing that never fails. When I can't feel His Spirit, His Word tells me it's still there. When I don't feel like I'm forgiven, His Word still tells me I'm forgiven. When I feel like He's woke up and left me, His Word tells me I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I'm looking around and I'm wondering, God, if you're ever going to come back and I don't feel like you're ever going to be saved, His Word tells me.
Christ Himself. The Word of God, the Creator of the universe in flesh and blood, standing in front of His people. In John chapter 5 and 39, said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of thee. I come to tell you, there were a lot of folks that thought he was the Messiah. There were a lot of folks that thought he was the Savior. When he was opening blind eyes and multiplying fishes and loaves. But I've come to tell you, the crowd was pretty thin at the foot of the cross. But he was hanging there lifeless. And all the world had turned against him. There wasn't hardly anybody standing around crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings that day. But the Lord had already said, if you want to know where I'm at, if you want to know who I am, if you want to know where I'm going, if you want to know where I'm coming, open up the books, search the scriptures. Just as soon as we fall more in love with being Pentecostal than we do apostolic, we are done for. I believe in Pentecost. It's essential doctrine. Folks, you're not going to heaven if you don't get filled with the Holy Ghost and the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But I've also come to tell you that when Peter got done preaching Acts 2.38, there were many other words. There were many other things that he preached to them that day. Why? Because we're only going to make it from here to heaven because the word of God is sure. The only way that we're going to speak to God is that I've faith and I trust in every word God has said. Amen. The Apostle Paul knew his days were short. He knew he was headed to Caesar. His work would be drawn to a close. There wouldn't be many more messages to preach. There wouldn't be many more letters to write. There wouldn't be ten more books added to the New Testament. His mission trips were a thing of the past. So why the books? Why the parchments? Earlier in that same letter, his parting words to his son, the Lord, where I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke. Exhort with all the suffering of doctrine. For the time will come. They will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears. I don't feel good anymore, Timothy. 
You need to preach something else. They don't suit my flesh anymore, Pastor Timothy. I'm going to have to go on down the road to the church down the street. That theology don't jive with how I see things and how I think things. Folks, I've come to tell you today, we're living in a world you ain't got to do nothing but just imagine it in your mind. And you can make up your own religion. And we live in the same world that's convinced that they're all equal and they're all the same. But verse 4 says, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. It shall be turned unto fables. Folks, we're living in a day when there are people that have made a religion out of a science fiction book about aliens coming down to earth. It's fables. Amen. It's garbage. It's false doctrine. But what do you need? What do I need? What's going to get us from here to heaven? It's going to be the truth. It's going to be a way to live this Bible every morning, every night. If I come to the house of God every time the doors are open and I look at the bell pantry, it says, preach to me. Because there was no friend. 
is only in the scripture. Only in his word. Will you ever think you have eternal life? The Bible says unless God shortens the last days, even the very elect will be deceived. Why is that? Because if we're living by what we see, and what we hear, and what we feel, the devil's a master. He's a master at fraud. He's a master at copycatting the original, but changing it enough to cost you your soul. But the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. What if Timothy quit? What if Timothy got the letter and sent done? A mentor's in prison. God's turned his back on him. I'm not doing this anymore. It was nobody left with him but, but, but Luke. What if Luke packed up? We're home like Demas. You sin and become the God. His word says you've got an advocate. 
it. You can fly back up in the daddy's lap and say you're sorry and God will take those sins away again. These altars are open. Somebody needs to pray. Somebody needs to touch God. Somebody needs to have a great love in His Lord stirred up inside of them. You're not going to make it on how you feel. You're not going to make heaven on how you feel. You're going to make heaven be the Word of God. Can we touch the Lord? Yes.